Yes, I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Warui Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you could support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at Show at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, ladies, gentlemen, NBs. Welcome to What Are We Desho's Stream of Thought, our episodic weekly podcast where we talk about currently airing shows and what we think of them. Get your French toast ready because we are down to Franks. Always down to Franks, baby. You know how it is. I am the Subtle Doctor, and with me is Pumpkin Carving genius and a printer ruiner shadan welcome hello i have a question for you doc uh who would yes. i be the beast or the prince can you be um prince beast 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 prince prince beast hmm mr beast proper i think that's an album name of of a band Qu- quite possibly well depends on who you ask i suppose but i'm sure that you know uh, plenty of people in fact post your comments you know post your opinions am i a beast or a prince throw it in there in the chat folks throw it in there you know in the comments section of youtube twitter soundcloud or the local bulletin board at your ch- missionary or church go for it let me know i'd love to see that on the local bulletin board in the church just things addressing your your existential status as beast or prince yes i want to know we need to do a poll including a very goofy picture of me Probably me, yeah. look, probably me completely wrecked out of my face on, on tanked up on booze. That's definitely Beast, by the way. If you don't deserve... No, wait a minute. How does the meme go? Damn it. <laughs> if you can't appreciate me at my Shadon drunken face, then you don't deserve me at my Shadon handsome face. Oh, God. That's that's more real than I like. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Shall we get started breaking down... Lucky number 13. Yes, let's go. The Beast and the Prince. Manono to Ojisama. As I butcher that Japanese pronunciation. Well, that's our entire audience in Japan, all two of them gone. <laughs> They're so mad. Thank you for listening, folks, but, well, you stuck with us for that long, but now Doc's ruined it. <laughs> Sorry. Let me try again. Let me give it another... All right. I'm in nothing if not persistent. No. Manono to Ojisama. We're now down to negative viewers in Japan. <laughs> Just to keep pushing them down. All right. I'll try to rescue it here by talking briefly about the creatives involved with the Beast and the Prince here. Episode direction, according to Wikipedia, was done by one Manabu Okamoto. 
now. Okamoto has a brief CV. It's one of these. Probably plucked from Idol Master Cinderella Girls by the director. Uh, was involved with that as first season and second season, doing some episode direction. This person's, the main thing that they've worked on appears to be ending animations. They have credits, storyboarding and directing, ending animations in Idolmaster, in ReZero, uh, and in Akame Ga Kill. I have to say that if that's the case, and that's highly ironic given how little animation there actually is in the ending of this particular episode. Uh, although that means that being said, there's an entirely valid reason for it. I just find that amusing. Like Okamoto directed your your favorite anime of last year, Shadan. What really? Gamers. Oh, fuck you! <laughs> you absolute <laughs> bastard. You know I don't know anything about the people who make this kind of stuff. You have me on high hopes then, as you know, say, oh, it's one of my favorite guys, the guy who did Scum's Wish. But no, he had to pick Gamers, the, no. the uninspired romantic comedy that features product placement from Arc System Works. <laughs> Fucking great. Fan-bloody-tastic. Excuse me while I, you know, twirl in delight. <laughs> well, don't pirouette just yet, because they also did storyboards for episodes 1, 3, 6, 8, and 11 of Gamers. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's I didn't pronounce the title right. There's a... It's Gamers! There's an exclamation point there, so you can't say Gamers. You have to say Gamers! The, there's something about how you say that, that every time you do, like... I think that, like, you know, my frontal lobes shrink every time you do that. If you keep saying it eventually, they'll just turn into, like, the size of, like, you know, peas... And then I was like, like, just, just, just no, please don't stop. Well, for the for the sake of this podcast, I will cease that. Someone's going to soundboard that and send that to me in a YouTube video. It's going to like gamers as as pronounced by Doc. Ten hours long. <laughs> You're right. Just ten hours of gamers. I want that to be your message tone for now, so I can remind you every time you receive oh, one of, of the thing that you have done this day. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that to myself. Are you kidding me? I wouldn't even do that to Naotaka Hayashi, the screenwriter for this episode and the previous episode and uh, several prior episodes, including ones we didn't really care for, such as two. Uh, but this person is the uh, head writer. One, sorry, one of the head writers. So this is this is them grabbing the steering wheel and saying no back off i got this let me take over the, the, let me take over the good ship franks before it runs aground look right i know i fucks up i fucks up really hard just give me a second chance god damn it i can actually write something good if you just let me do it <laughs> this is what i had in mind for weeks i promise i'll be fair to him <laughs> he did actually he has done good work now so you know i mm-hmm. think i forgive you Sauce of. Not really. Hayashi-san, you have gained Shadon's forgiveness. Be grateful for what you have accomplished this day. And it took him 13 episodes to do it. Wow. <laughs> I could have got my tax returns fed back in that time. You still feeling good about Noriko Takao? She storyboarded this episode and storyboarded episode 5. The the one spoken about in hushed tones on this podcast. <laughs> nothing much about it that was the best best episode of this entire show it was so far. good it was so good it was bloody brilliant and 
again, like there's certain shades of her storyboarding in this, like certain things that, like with lighting in particular and framing that really do help sell what's going on with the characters. Uh, so, Noriko, I'm going to up my up previous offer. I will now buy you two pints instead hey. of the one. That's still on the table. I'm not making any jokes here. Like, if I ever bump into her and she wants to cash in those two pints of whatever her favourite beer is, or liquor, or spirit, you know, I'm not fussy here, you know, you can have whatever you like, then I will gladly cough up the cash and put it where my mouth is, so to speak. She worked with Hayashi-san on episode five as well. Uh, he was the writer. So building off a, a good rapport, perhaps, here. I found that the pacing wasn't, like, quite as crackling uh, maybe I'm just misremembering. Perhaps it was not the pa- the pacing, but just the tension. I didn't really feel a lot of tension this episode. It's not to say I didn't like it. Kind of to be kind of a given, though, given that this is a flashback. Like for sure. I mean, we know, like you know, when Hero and Zero Two are past Hero and Zero Two, you know, go on their little adventure here. That it can't remain that way forever. Like it was going to come to an end one way or another. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I see where you're coming from there, absolutely. But that being said, if you want my overall opinion on this episode before we even get into it, and I think this really sums up the entire series in general, is that when they've got good, the character interplay going just between two people, and they really focus on it and properly build into it, it's really, really solid and really, really well executed. I actually felt genuine emotion at the stuff that was happening in this episode. Not all of it, mind you. Some of it was a bit... A bit amateur, I'll be honest, and we'll get to it. <laughs> no, I, you probably know what I'm talking about. Fucking Dr. Franks again. I mean, even when he's... <laughs> it, he ruins this in so many ways, but anyway. <laughs> oh, regenerating flesh. Oh, fuck, fuck that guy. But anyway, um, but that being said, um, a lot of the stuff that surrounds Franks, like apart from the character stuff like, you know, the gender politics and the world building or the general lack thereof, the weaker aspects of the show... Like, that's also present in this episode as well, in my opinion. So, it's a microcosm of the whole show at its best, and also, paradoxically, a little bit at its worst. Just a little bit, because the gender politics stuff, thankfully, has now kind of been pushed aside for the time being. I'll no doubt it'll come back up and rear its fucking ugly head at some point. So, who knows? I mean, yeah, that's an interesting, an interesting question, is, uh, how much they want to lean into that again do they want to try to resolve anything or change anything honestly in in hindsight like with the way this is going like the the compelling arc now is between zero two and hero it's about you know them coming to a realization and about the world and about each other and their history and what it means for their future and sure it's been there and done that i mean the elf and lead comparisons only get stronger surprisingly enough Mm -hmm. i mean good good grief like Honestly, I'm literally surprised at no point did, like, tiny little Zero Two just pass by, you know, Lucy and just high-five her in the corridor. It wouldn't, if that had happened as an outtake, it wouldn't have surprised me. Please stop bringing this show up. That's, say that to Franks. Franks is responsible for doing this. If you're gonna bring it up, and you're gonna make us talk about Elfin Lead, you have to at least put the bando drop in when I say bando. Must be done. The gods demand it. Fine, I'll do it. I will do it for you, Doc, because you've asked for it. Uh, but don't put don't put the the requests of the divine on my doorstep. I'm telling you, this is Pod Divinity is making a request of thee. Yeah, better follow through. 
I'll, I'll do it. Through. Um, so, you know, I wonder, I just, part of me wonders whether or not, like, all the uh, sex stuff that we were, I feel like, shotgun blasted with in the beginning. Like, is it going to turn out to just be kind of, like, window dressing? It feels very like, perfunctory. Oh, oh, we just, we just called this thing, you know, something sexual. We just put the pilots in these positions. Yeah. But, I mean, and of course, by doing that, of course, whether or not they make a judgment about it in the narrative of the show, like, they can't not take a position on it when it's in the world in the show, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> just introducing it says a thing. Yeah, the exactly. The question is whether they're okay with that or they're going to say something else or if it's complete or just what is going to happen with all that stuff yeah it honestly feels just like it's a taxon thing now in hindsight because it's not really informed a lot of the character relationships too deeply no it kind of saw it did in the boys x girls thing but that just felt more like sitcom stuff rather than any genuine evaluation a lot of people took genuine umbrage uh with the conclusions of that which is you know girls like no no don't worry about what the boys think we'll let them you know do what they want if they want to you know leer at us and all that and look at us in that way yeah just just a little <laughs> not just yeah <laughs> and the, and the boys are like no we've got to protect the girls because they're frail and wispy and all that and yeah and you know as everyone's saying that you know it just cuts to an advert break of a 1950s nuclear family eating moon pie because that's the era it fucking comes from <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Archaic? Yeah, essentialist and, and status quo-y. And now also seemingly unnecessary. I know! Yeah, even, even the sexual stuff, like, in the, in the cockpits and stuff feels like it's just tacked on in hindsight. I mean, again, I'm gonna make the comparison because it's from the same studio. A kill, a kill at least, like, you know, the whole clothes thing and the lack of wearing clothes was actually addressed throughout the show's run pretty much until the end man i it was it was a continuous thread dare i say (laughs) yeah i went there (laughs) you hate me now don't you You did it you hate me i do uh but you love me really yes yes indeed that is the so like i never had this feeling with kill the kill i never was like man boy i wonder if they know what they're doing Sure doesn't fucking seem like it. But I've had it for so long with this show. Like, mm. a Kill a Kill never felt adrift. It always felt tightly bound to the things that it wanted to accomplish. Yeah, pretty much. I... The show has felt adrift for the majority of its run so far. Mm-hmm. I've certainly had uh, my shit fair share of complaints. I mean, we've done, what, like, 12, no, 16 hours nearly on this, if not more. <laughs> 16, God, like... Jesus. Yeah, I know, right? Good... Good Christ! Uh, what I could what I could have done in the, in the meantime? Nah, I kid, I kid. Please this don't is... talk about that. It make me depressed. Wow. We could be talking about ancient mages bride. <laughs> yeah, we could have been talking about a place farther than the universe, or Violet Evergarden, or any of the other great things that have been oh. coming out recently. Okay, all right. No, let look. Right. Let's actually talk about this episode. Let's talk about the fact that it is actually, mm-hmm. I think, genuinely quite good. Okay, so. The episode begins... Last time on Darling in the Franks, heroes getting choked. (laughs) Yes, the nerve alert motif is happening. (laughs) Uh, And the the Nana is saying, Oh no, their consciousnesses are going to merge. No, they're not. Hero doesn't uh, have a consciousness. 
He's oh. brain. He's a he's a brain dead dimwit. He doesn't have a consciousness to merge with. Like if zero two pops into his head, it's just going to be like a white space. There's going to be nothing there. Like a like a home of the future. <laughs> pretty a, a, a white room. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. So that's a thing, and you have some interesting some interesting shots, and you know from there you enter the place that most of this episode remains at uh a sort of co-flashback and the flashback is accompanied by some sort of retro vhs inspired static effects i really hope no one watches uh, frank's 13 on a crt you will think it's packing up <laughs> i mean i guess it's meant to imply like that the memories were cut yeah and they're they're being repasted or restored into place uh and at times does does it do sometimes it does the crackling just to transition between scenes and other times it does it to transition between narrators yep and also a, a particularly pivotal moment of dialogue later on indeed yes yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the second syllable of the d word is <laughs> is uh popped out yes uh, something i want to bring up here is again another use of lighting um Frank's, I find so far, like one of the things it's been consistently good at, apart from such things as music, is that it uses lighting really well to convey characters' moods, um, uh, also their place in life as well, like literally living in a dark time. So one of the opening shots here, in case you haven't um, seen it, is we now see Zero Two as a child, uh, who was briefly seen at the end of the last episode, but now we get proper shots for her, and she's just a little impish girl who's a stick figure, not much meat to her, just... You know, seeing it like this, like, part of me is a little confused because I can't fathom how she could have changed from that to the way she is that we've seen the rest of the show where she's, you know, articulate, confident, fully grown. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Has the color of human skin. <laughs> yeah. Like, she's completely feral. She can't even speak. Like, oh, she can speak, but she certainly doesn't know language, nor can she actually read. So, can't read, can't write. Can't understand what people are saying. She's just an animal. And then she's paid a visit from Morpheus. <laughs> and she downloads it from the Matrix. The ability to speak and read and do maths and cook. And to steal, um, you know, men's clothes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's totally on a floppy disk. Um, but why I bring up here is, like, seeing her, like, for the first time as a child, like, properly in this episode, it did break my heart a little bit. <laughs> oh, my God. It was, um, there, there's some... There's some imagery in this one that's uh, it, it, it's it's hard to watch at times for yeah. sure. So some of it is some of the things that happen to Zero Two in this, the actual punishment and physical pain she's put through. I was not okay with simply because it felt a bit contrived and cliche how it came across and why it was being done. As in, fuck if I know why it was being done. Yeah, what what's the what's the end game with these? horrible ex experiments what's the end game of uh holding the poor child's book aloft and making her jump to try to grab it yeah <laughs> what's the point of that bullshit yeah we'll get to that later but um to come back to come back to my uh, previous point here the shots we see of her in this opening bit is because again we don't have an op in this episode the credits play over the opening scenes um we uh, see her room let me just let me offer some speculation uh that they're going to do a second op but it's not ready Possibly, but then again, they've just changed the OP to, you know, swap around the partners, so that, then again, maybe they did that because they genuinely, they were like, thought, well, maybe we should put this tiny little detail in for the one time it'll matter. Uh, 
who knows? Who knows? But what I would say, though, is that one of these opening shots, though, is of Zero Two's room as a child, and her room is, well, I, I'm going to be moving house fairly soon, uh, for those who are yeah. not in the know. And when I leave, and I will not have to live there anymore, it will look like what Zero Two's room currently looks like right now. The only things that she has in there are a mirror, a sink, and a toilet. There is no bed, no creature comforts, no lighting apart from the windows. It's completely plain. Like, this is something that you would use if, you know, you're a dictator to put prisoners in and maybe dirty up a little bit. You know, it, this, this is, she's a fucking kid. She's barely seven or something. And, you know, when you're that age, you've got a nice room to live in. You know, you've got yourself a nice comfy bed, got posters, all these little nice things that you take for granted. And she's living in, well, a prison cell, basically. The only thing that's missing is the bars. But what I really liked, to come back to the idea of the lighting here, is that in this shot, which is mostly black and light, we can just barely make her out huddled in the corner in darkness as there are streams of light that come in over um, over the top of her head. There's an earlier mm-hmm. scene with her and present hero who's like projecting himself in it. It's like his projection of his psyche into that scene where he's similarly uh, sat down next to her and his head's in light and hers is in shadow. This is a lot like the small bit I mentioned in the previous episode where Hero was simply sat in a intersecting shaft of darkness and light. And it actually mm-hmm. will become important again when Hero actually rescues her from this cell, but we'll get to that soon. But yeah, lighting in Franks is used so well. Like little moments, little scenes like this. They they have the technical guys, the storyboarders, Noriko and all the other people who are working on this that aren't actually putting pen to paper are doing their damnedest to make this work. It's just unfortunate that Hayashi and you know the other <laughs> the other script the other script monkeys behind this uh, you know I don't even I don't even like do they just like sit around with a giant bong and just share it with you? It's like bro I got ideas <laughs> fucks if I know because honestly sometimes I think self this would be such an amazing show if they bro- just broke <laughs> broke oh, fuck me but like I, I really do think sometimes this show would be spectacular if it strips away a lot of the gristle that's been shackled onto it, like the stuff we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. But can't fault the d- direction or the technical elements once again. There's meaning from every single part of this. So as you say, she's been locked up. Uh, we, we find young, very, very young Zero Two, and we see her near the end of her first stint uh, in a in a prison type situation. You know, she's got a room, but it's at least it has some toys and the the wall is painted, you know, the, a nighttime type mural with yeah. stars is on there. And she's Birds. given a book. Birds yeah. in pairs. It's, it's, hey, hey, there you go. And she's given uh, a book, a picture book called uh, The Beast and the Prince ah. by whoever is taking care of her. And we don't even see like what sort of clothes they're wearing, like what the form was. So we don't know who that is. No. It's probably not a near automata reject. No. <laughs> uh, it might be Papa. It might be Franks himself. Who can say? I doubt it's Franks himself. It can't, unless... it can't, no, yeah, it can't be Franks himself based on how he reacted later, but. Yeah. The couple of other things about this room, like it's the walls and the toys are completely shredded. Like when I said mm-hmm. before that Zero Two was feral at this point in her life, I was not joking. They give her, they clearly give her a lot of things and then she just 
doesn't know how to interact with them the way a human would. No, she's even shackled to the wall as well. So read into that what you will. Uh, Before we get onto the book, I just need to say though as well, like even before we see what happens later with the more obvious torture scenes that are a bit rubbish in my opinion for reasons I'll pile later, you can still infer a lot from just what's happened, how she is now. Chained to the wall, tearing at the wallpaper, tearing at the toys, ripping them to shreds. She tries to eat the book when given to her because she thinks it's food. That's what she thinks is. So you can, you know, she's only a kid. You can obviously infer from that that this is neglect that's led us to be this way. Well, I, th- I think it's slightly, I took a slightly different read on that. Although, like, there are some things, I mean, obviously you can point to, like, scarring around her ankles and wrists and stuff like that. And then the overt experimentation. And even the pitiful way she acts uh, toward toward Hero initially. Th- those things illustrate the neglect and the abuse. But I, the way I took the beginning stuff was that and it was to me like confirmed later parts of the episode that we're not dealing with a human child here we're dealing with a klaxosaur child that has been humanized like we laughed at that last time because that was the theory that i thought was the case but there is a line in this episode i wrote it down um dr franks i believe said that She's, he's talking about zero two and says that uh, this specimen is leagues better than all of them past. There's never been one that's developed such a human form before. Mm-hmm. And the blood is blue. Uh, there's no speaking. You know, she can't speak despite having presumably been around other people for yeah, that's true. some def- length of time, uh, you know, previously. So, like, I think, yeah, I mean, and, and she, I think we can reasonably infer that that she is she is other than human uh, well the, the horns were the big giveaway that's for sure <laughs> well yeah no well and that uh it wasn't like you know you might have been thinking earlier that she began as human but was twisted from there and i think that that's actually like depending on where they want to go thematically i think it does make sense to have two different kinds of beings come together uh you know if this were more specifically and explicitly about claxosaurs versus humans rather than about kind of the the mistrust that the parasites probably feel towards society and all the mystery and the questions like it would be kind of cool to have you know your beauty and the beast your your prince and the ah uh, you did it you did it you said scenario. it you said it i did you you yeah. said it I mean, I was going to make a Tales as Old as Time reference to the book here, but now you've, now you've gone and done it. You've gone and fucking done it. Oh, shit. I, I, I bead my own guest. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you can, you can, <laughs> you can see how that, uh, that, that might, um, kind of fit and resonate better than mm-hmm. if she was just, if she was an, a, a, then if she was human, but tweaked a little bit. I think that's, um, like if you want if you want the love between two different species or two different beings i don't know it seems to mean more when they are really different like that uh, to be honest to me i think the claxosaur element really doesn't matter because we don't we haven't seen any like you know behavior from the claxosaurs that we can relate to they're just mm. they it's like i said to you before they're just a force of nature they're just pests i don't think i think the more it's more about the idea of you know 
they said what is human many times throughout the show, like Zero Two said it. And she herself feels that she's not human. And there is a truth to that. Yeah, I mean, look at look at how she's... Um, so she is Klaxosaur, but look at how she's responded. I mean, she's violently, viciously trying to be human by any means necessary. Like, she's got... she's She is much more relatable. Like, we see, and, and she is relatable. And, you know, because she, I guess, is trying to be human. And she just serves as an interesting contrast to the other Klaxosaurs. I don't think that her... I don't think that her being human is something that she's comparing to being a Klaxosaur, but rather just to being feral. I think that she's more concerned about having a consciousness and a free will, rather than being treated like an animal like she is in this. And the point I was going to make was that right. when she compares herself to being human, like I said, as said before, like what does it mean to be that Like when she confronted Ichigo? Well, look at the people who are handling her. The woman who's throttling the book around, like, you know, teasing her, bullying her. The way that Franks talks about her. The actual stuff they do to her. These are the people who aren't fucking human. Not exactly. her. Yeah. No, for sure. Yes. Man is the real monster. No. <laughs> Franks went, you know, from just being a, you know, a fucking sexual deviant who just harasses women in the workplace to just... I'll get to it later. There's a comparison to another yeah. character that you know that I want to make. <laughs> I, I do agree with you that there hasn't been... There hasn't been enough. That there could be, there could be more done to service, like... The idea that here you have a non-human being falling in love with another human. Like, it's just kind of happening. And, mm-hmm. it, yeah, I mean, I think that much more work can be done or could have been done yeah, to to make it uh, interwoven with the rest of the story and themes and make it, make it hit harder. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about The Beast and the Prince. Now, okay. when this book is introduced to Zero Two in this room by the mystery mother-like person. The blue and black blob person. Slenderman. <laughs> Versus Commando. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <gasps> but when, when this book is introduced, because Zero Two tries to eat it, this person takes the book from her, puts it down, opens it, and shows her a picture. And the picture that is turned to is of a princess with horns. And I have to say, like, I really like the art in the book, by the way. Like, it looks yeah. fantastic. It does look like a, a classical children's book. It's great. I have a big problem with this book in this episode, though. Oh. I, I have a huge, huge problem with it. Because the title for alone should probably have clued you in, given we've also mentioned that this is primarily about Zero Two and Hero. That this book is allegorical almost to a T for their current situation. It's, mm-hmm. like... If it, if it was like a transparent overlay, you could put it over their own scenario and it would match almost note for note just with contextual changes. And that to me comes off as incredibly contrived, like that this random person would just hand Zero Two the book that would one day marry up with her own life so exactly. That's a phenomenal coincidence. It is. It is a, when you look at things a certain way, right? I mean, it... It, it's like we're reverse engineering from well that's uh, that's what that's that's what we're doing <laughs> that's we're, a... rever- we're reverse engineering from like the time that she was so kind of viscerally impacted all the way back to the origin of the item that like caused that to happen whereas like in the flow of a person's life you know it does happen that way but like a lot of other things happen and you're shown a lot of other things so i mean i totally listen 
I totally feel what you're saying. Yeah. I absolutely do. I think there are anime directors that do this sort of thing much better. I'm going to invoke the name of one of my personal favorites, the master, Kunihiku. Uh, all right, let me make sure I'm pronouncing it right. God damn it. Uh, don't, yeah, we don't want to go further into negative figures on the Japanese viewers, Doc. I know the last name. I just want to get the first name right. Uh, I did mispronounce. So Kunihiko Ikuhara, his most recent TV show, Yurikuma Arashi, is basically <laughs> all about... Well, I shouldn't say all about. it. A, a big part of the story relates back to an illustrated kid's book that a character pulls out, but it's pulled out very early in the story, episode one, maybe episode two, and is constantly referred back to throughout the whole show. Yeah. Kind of meaning the different, um, it gets interpreted a little bit differently at times and meanings of it change and, or are shown in different ways. So like, it just feels better. It's organically woven in. Yeah. It feels like more, yes, organically. It feels part of the world. As yeah. opposed to, like you said, just kind of chucked in there. Yeah. Not unlike Kokoro's book from the beach episode, I should note. <laughs> what book is that? I don't even... I, one day, perhaps that'll come back. I mean, come on. This picture book that is given to Zero Two, the princess has horns. This is yeah. so on the nose. Yeah. It's not like... You could, if people like say, like, you know, when you start referring to like classical works of fiction, like, hell, if they wanted to go one better, they might have probably wanted to reference uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. There would have been a thing that you could have thrown in there, although admittedly it's not a picture book. Uh, By the by, actually, one thing this episode does really well is call back small details from previous episodes. Uh, You might Mm -hmm. recall in the previous episode that Zero Two was looking for a picture book in the library because. Yeah, that's true. That is the very first thing that she, you know, received as a gift from someone, something that she actually started learning from. Like, this is technically the beginning of her education, I would say. But to come back to the point I was going to make, though, this is a tale that's been crafted for in-universe. Like, it's not like an existing piece of work. Even if they had used Frankenstein, as I suggested, or anything else from classical literature, like any classic fairy tale, it would still feel a bit cliche. And again, cliche is not necessarily inherently bad, but this is just a different kind of thing where... No, it's literally just a copy pasta. That's what it is. And I thought, I like the idea behind it, but I can't get past the fact that it's just too convenient. And even now, I can imagine, well, what about that whole, maybe it was all planned thing? And I'm like, really? Really? Are we going to strain incredulity now that they're going to have this (laughs) specific fucking tale given to the impish child with horns who then somehow meets you know the prince of her dreams and then they come back and the... no no sorry that's <laughs> shit long enough it's bollocks oh, I have it. <laughs> it's absolute bollocks all right i'm done with that yes but otherwise i like the idea of the story and as i say the art's fantastic in it yeah so so i guess her looking for it previously doesn't uh that's not enough justification for you for the way they kind of brought it in Again, like the fact that the story so thoroughly overlays her current situation, both past and present, it's contrived out of the backside, is what it is. Yeah, yeah I can't I, I can't disagree there. Yet again, this is another thing that, if only it was alluded to before, right? I, I feel like it, it would feel better. Um, you know what I would have done? If I were writing this, again, here we go, armchair director and all that, but just mm-hmm. p- let me just pitch this idea. What if the gift that Hero gave back to Zero Two, you know, in that episode where they exchanged gifts, was not the mirror, but a copy of that book. And she couldn't remember it. 
but it triggered memories in her. After all, Hero himself was reading a book. Why not he do a book exchange? Here, maybe you'll like this. I found this in the library. And she's like, well, this has been familiar. I don't know. Just just a thought, you know. You could have opened it in earlier than that, I'd reckon. And then she says, do you think I have a child's reading level? And smashes him in the head with it. I would actually really enjoy Zero to hit him over the head with a book. <laughs> or literally throwing the book at him. That would be amazing. I would I would watch that. Uh, so the next scene we have is Ichigo and Hiro. They're together in the garden. Uh, and the Lord said it was good. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> I mean, I already made, I made the allegory about Zero Two being, you know, the devil in God's domain. Oh, fuck. Right. That, that, right. oh, that's so true. I, I have to say, by the way, one small thing. Uh, Ichigo is holding a bunny. And again, when bringing back the gifts episode, she had a bunny then. So, again, nice callback. Yeah, uh, Goro did say she has always liked stuffed animals since she was a kid. It's consistent, um, so nice portrayal. So she is upset and asks Hiro, am I weird? Because she's still crying, unlike the other kids their age who are mostly gone totally emotionless. Yeah, and Hiro then says, yes, you're totally weird and freakish. Get out of my sight. <laughs> also, your buddy's stupid and you're a dog. And thus the show ended. Uh, so he says like it's okay to be uh weird because we're special because we have these low numbers because low numbers equate to higher aptitude uh when it comes to being a parasite and he suggests to help feel comfortable with uniqueness if she would like to have a name he gave himself a name already of course and so he names her ichigo and himself hiro and you know, stands on that scene that we saw from a different perspective early on in the show. Hero as sort of Adam in the garden, naming all God's creatures. Yeah. Po- pointing down and naming all the kids, including yeah. Mitsuru. Yeah, you're sleepy, you're grumpy, you're dark. <laughs> uh, yes, I am. Thank you. Hey! I will take that moniker. I am sleepy. And dopey as well in equal measure. So yeah, so you should feel like it's okay to be different. This will help you feel this way. And of course, the near automata extras come in and say, no, you can't do this. And Hiro, we're shown for the first time here, and many times this episode, he questions authority, and he's mm-hmm. the only child that will do that. Uh, and this becomes a problem for him. They specifically say his sensitivity could begin to infect the other children. Well, they dealt with that right good later on, because he honestly, earlier on in this show's run... His sensitivity was fucking non-existent. <laughs> they they men and blacked it out of him. <laughs> he could have he could have found Bambi's mother dying in the fucking forest and he'd have ignored her. Do the little what what do they call the device in the men and black? Do oh, the neural the, ne- the neuralizer. The neuralizer, yes. Continually use that on him, and you will you will squeeze the feelings right out of him and the brain cells <laughs> and the, and the sentient thought. Yes. Hero, the amoeba in human form. He literally just has two ping pong balls inside the cavity that is his skull. You shake him <laughs> around a little bit, just like, you know, rattling a, one of those, you know, gumball machines. Uh, so we've talked about uh, Dr. Frank's believing that in 002, you have uh, a very uh, exceptional specimen uh, has has, <laughs> has developed such a human form unlike all the others. And he's, you know, doing horrible things to the poor girl. Ah, this scene. This scene annoyed (laughs) me. Now, here's the thing, right? It's meant to annoy you. It's meant to make you angry as the viewer, you know, at what he's doing to her. I have 
a couple of problems with its conception, though, and how it's executed, because this will probably... I feel fairly so this will be out before our Yasmin Nightcast, but in Yasmin, the villain, spoilers, uh, was... Was it Dokrabri? Yes, it is Dokrabri. I got it right. That's like the one time I've actually got it right first go, as opposed to all the other times I actually did it in the Yasmin Nightcast. Where I didn't remember his <laughs> fucking name, but the point I'm the point I'm getting at here is that Dokrobre in that show, he was a cruel, evil, wretched being who treated other people like his pawns to be disposed of and manipulated, experimented on, like we turned them on cyborgs at his whim, and he did it for no other reason than because he was a dickhead who was just basically got really pissed that the Yataman of old beat him so consistently, so he went and you know leveled up and came back. I didn't mind him that, though, because he literally was a cartoon villain. That's who he was. And yet, with Frank's here, he's cackling and laughing at this and enjoying every second of it in such a way that it honestly took me out of it. Because this show, dare I mention, is supposedly meant to be taken seriously. Although it's given us plenty of reason Ah. not to at various times. And... Bear in mind, like, you know, this is a war that they're trying to win against these Klaxosaurs, supposedly. Although, again, I really don't have any idea of how big the scale is of this Klaxosaur problem. Like, you know, have we have any plantations been destroyed by the Klaxosaurs previously? The fuck's if I know. So that's another problem. But Frank's here, Kathleen like this, he does become a cartoon villain. Oh, really? It, it really, so? it really yeah. feels like that's how he acts. Like you know, he's just enjoying this for the sake of the fact that he's just simply evil, and that's not compelling to me. Not in a show like See, this. I um, so I didn't take it necessarily as evil. Like to me, it just sort of reeked of uh, really generic uh, scientific like sociopathy. Like, mad scientist. Uh, like yeah. Well, not even mad. Like just totally amoral. Like well, being immoral, but not be like just lacking this moral dimension. Like. Science for science sake, push ahead with the experiments. Like, here we have the specimen. I'm going to do all these things, like, that may or may not hurt the person, but he's not even thinking of her pain. He's totally lacks empathy. He's pushing forward with progress, with, with science, with the war effort. Uh, that's what it felt like to me, much more so than, like, he's enjoying the suffering of her or something like that. The, the tone of his voice, though, certainly conveyed that he was enjoying it. Uh, maybe not necessarily enjoying the suffering. He's excited. So- I think he's excited at the discovery, is is how the eye took it. I don't know. Something read really, really false about this portrayal here, because mm. this the thing is about evil in fictions, as I've said before, there needs to be... Oh, sorry, let me say again. Characters aren't evil, per se, in fiction. There is no real good or evil force in fiction. It's just people with their own motivations. And as we've said many times, it's okay for there to be a character who does awful things if at least we can understand the logic behind them. But what's happening here to Zero Two, right? Then, you know, touch. I can infer from that, you know, they want to test how capable she would be as a pistol as an adult because... To some extent, although it's not been explicitly shown to great detail, you know, if you get hurt in the Franks, you get hurt for real. You know, like the Matrix has told me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. So I get right that. Right after you know. he showed me how to wear sunglasses without any ear pieces. <laughs> and long trench coats. Don't forget those. Just You just got to squeeze your cheeks and your forehead down as tight as possible to hold the, the sunglasses without the ear straps. I hope they're, you know, uh, very vocals in the Matrix. That'd be really annoying if you wore them all the time and just kept walking out buildings really quickly. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> on it, honestly, like 
the way this came across to me made him feel cartoonish. It doesn't feel like he has a compelling reason to be acting the way he does. I, it, he's just, he's honestly not too far off the level of Dr. Eggman. It, that's how it feel, felt to me. And mm. I get, and I, as I say, I get the idea of why they're doing this. Although it also runs contrary to the whole thought of, you know, taking Zero Two to the Grand Crevasse. Like, that's not seemingly a state, I don't fucking know. But why won't this show explain anything? <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's a new development in, but, but I, I mean, fuck if I know. That's just my, my guess. I, I'm so confused. So I, I don't mind. Well, I do mind, but I don't mind narratively that this scene exists, you know, seeing her getting tortured. And I understand the reasons behind it, but having Frank's just cackle and swirl his robo-tash like this, I was, <laughs> I was not particularly down with that. That's the other big bugbear I had with this episode. Uh, one thing I'll point out very quickly, though, that I don't know if I've said before, but I feel it should be stated, and I don't know if it'll be relevant or not. Frank's has a horn on his head as well. Only one, but he has one. So I'm thinking, is it possibly hmm. that he's... Is it possible that he himself is a Klaxosaur human hybrid and he's not a cyborg, but so much the mask that he wears is just to cover that side of him up? Like, if you take that off, will he be similarly red and disfigured underneath? Doesn't this come up in Metal Gear? It... Is, isn't isn't there a person with a horn? No, that is literally Venom Snake. That's what I mentioned last time. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's that's him. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just was not down with the, the way he's betrayed here because he's just like, like I'm enjoying this. This is, this is amazing. And I'm like, Franks, like if you're a genuine cold-hearted motherfucker scientist, I would actually have preferred that if he was just like, you know, being completely and utterly uncaring and not actually laughing or showing any emotions. This just, if he had said nothing and just watched, that'd have been something. But that uh, I wasn't down with it. Okay, so Hero ends up seeing. Zero two uh, observes the horrible behavior happening to her. Ends up asking some questions, like "Who is she? What's happening? How many Can licks does it take to get to the center of a tootsie pop?" <laughs> right, this, uh, all the important uh, questions of human existence, and everyone just tells him, "Mate, these are a need to know basis, and you don't need to know." <laughs> One of those need-to-know basis things. Oh my god. And also, fun detail, at a certain point when Mitsuru is leaving to get his injection, again, a scene that we have seen from another perspective, uh, he makes the promise to Hiro, and then they shake on it, and their handshake, which they're crossing pinkies, looks like a heart. Aww. I have a different thing that I want to say about that scene, just as a funny observation. I thought, that's neat in all this scene, this is really co- cute and everything, but... There are no guardrails on that walkway. <laughs> if I them step one little bit to the left, they're in that pool, and it's probably ice cold, and I don't see a life ring around there. Maybe that's where all the parasites were disappearing to in the garden. They were just falling into that fucking pond. <laughs> it just, just a Dark Souls-like setup there with the catwalk. <laughs> it easily falls off. Either that or it was Pennywise from It. Hey, hero, <laughs> you want your boat back? <laughs> oh, God. So, so one day, of course, you know, Hero tries to sneak and, and find Zero Two, but he's caught and, uh, he gets, he gets frustrated and says, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to get to her. He's seen where her room is, or at least a room that she's frequently in. So one day he procures what appears to be like a strobe light, 
Uh and (laughs) climbs up a tree and chucks it through her window. Has to be said, this is this is on the nose, perhaps, but this is literally the first time a light has entered her life. (laughs) I'm not even kidding, brother. (laughs) Am I wrong? No, (laughs) totally unplugged that light. Nothing unshining, dead, dead light. And so, so he's done this a thing that triggers no alarms in the uh, building. Of course not. No one is nearby to hear the sound. There's no security camera in Zero Two's room. You'd think there'd be. I mean, this. So I feel like that at this point, it's entirely fair to point at the show and say, "Okay, come on," stretching the bounds of believability. Because at this point, <laughs> Frank's has has not kind of picked out Squad Thirteen to be an experimental group. You know, in, in the past, I could say like, "Well, they're being allowed this latitude to gather data." You know, Frank's has them as their special project. Well, this is long before that, and Zero Two is a an asset that they that they covet. And so, yeah, very weird that this just a tiny boy is able to just break in to the second or third floor of this building and take Zero Two. In the beginning, she doesn't want to go, of course, because every human since the first uh, that has been in her life has treated her very poorly, and so. She is reticent, but she is convinced by the tears in the eyes of Hero. Yeah. And saying that sentence out loud makes me feel dirty inside. Oh, dear. <laughs> There's a couple of things I'd say about this. I thought the scene was actually really quite brilliant. First off, Zero Two, like, the Hero's acts of breaking in. I made the, you know, a light entry of life thing, and I can't even say that half as a joke, really, because it is so accurate, it's actually kind of... Two on the nose, which was the complaint I made before about, you know, yes. the book. But on a more positive note, this is the first time that someone's actually reached into her heart and treated her normally. That's the whole act of breaking in as, as metaphor. Getting in to, you know, see her as a person and then connecting with her through a shared emotion that everyone can recognize, the act of crying, you know? Animals cry out in pain and that is something you can recognize. So that's what causes us to connect. And then... It, the lighting. Zero Two is hunkered in the shadows of the back of the room against the wall, terrified initially of Hero. But then once he starts weeping and holding out his hand saying, come on, let's go, she steps out from the darkness and into the light for, conceivably, the first time in a sense. So if this was Noriko's uh, storyboarding here at work doing this, and it must have been, it, it has to have been. Yeah. 10 out of 10. This is such a brilliant little... Load of little details consecutively texturing the scene, getting a tapestry going and meaning to help what otherwise is a fairly simple axe have so much emotion behind it. No, totally. Uh not something I picked up on when I watched it the first time, but I'll have I'll go back and look at that. Um because I do uh yeah, respect Takao's ability here and feel like, yes, this is all pretty intentional on her part. Hey, I don't buy pints for no one. Just just anyone, you know. Uh- yeah, yeah, I buy exactly. I, I buy it for cool people. That offer is legit. Indeed. I will fucking do it if ever I get the chance. So I so refresh my memory, how do they get down from the bit they just jump out the window? They try to they, climb down they the climb tree. Out, right? And then, and then they, they fall. The limb breaks. <laughs> yeah. And uh I and so yes, he's coaxed her out the window with his with his tears. And uh they are fleeing from the garden, from the lab, and 
Heroes Heroes knocks out by the way by the fall. So Zero in the beginning, t- yeah, yeah, she's carrying him. She's dragging him, <laughs> and then he wakes up face first in snow. Yeah, uh, at some point, and there's a really kind of cute scene where she bites him, and after he sees a rat. <laughs> I love this. I love this because there's just a little insert shot of three uh-huh. rats. The family looking. They're just mortified. Oh fuck! They killed Pete. Dad, no. We will have our rat vengeance. I I just found that insert really really funny. <laughs> oh, I don't even know it if was, it's it was great. Yes, the Royal Rat Vanguard there. Yeah, holding up its end of the bargain. I have to say, Impish Feral Zero Two is also really cute. Like just the, just the expression on her face when she's got that little rat tail popping out. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what did I do? I was hungry. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, she's bitten his hand and releases it upon like getting head pats because it brings back the soothing memory of the original person. Nah, 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 nah. Hero, heroes watched anime. He knows that all women in anime are vulnerable to head pats. The head pats, right? The the Sachi uh, method of. Of praise. Well, she does have does have pink hair. <laughs> it's true. It's all connected. Yes. And so there's a really nice insert song that plays. Oh. During one of these scenes where they're talking. I think he's reading her the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just a lovely, lovely song. Just to backtrack very briefly, um, Hero does technically name Zero Sue here by pointing out the name on her Correct. collar. Which is actually a shackle around her ankle. Yeah, her ankle yeah. binder bracelet thing. Yeah, and when you remember that Hero has his own collar on, because that's where all their numbers are, you know, like lost property things, you know, just in case they end up somewhere, like, please return here if found. But it pretty much contextualized very bluntly that they are slaves. I don't think there's any real way around it. Sure, that you know, they're not, they're not like, you know, tending fields or anything here, but they are fighting in battles that supposedly could get them killed. I mean, I would, sure. oh, I would, yeah. it would help if you know the the show had conveyed that better up until this point. But that is true, though. They could very much potentially die at any point. They're fighting a war they barely understand for mm-hmm. spurious reasons. And at the end of it all, as we've seen, like you know, the kids before they even get out of the garden are likely to be sent off to you know be turned into you know soy paste or whatever they you know use. And then there's no indication that once they do, you know, get to a certain age, they'll allow be allowed to become adults and, you know, retire from piloting Francis. They are slaves. They are, in fact, a reference to, it's time for me to reference another book, one of my favorite things to do. One of the classic dystopian fiction novels that technically is actually more of a utopian novel, but it's kind of like an expose on how utopias can be really, really awful, uh, is Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. And mm-hmm. In Brave New World, there are castes, and every single person in Brave New World is decanted from birth. They're test tube babies, not too dissimilar from the kids in Franks. But the the castes uh, start from Alpha and go down to Epsilon, with Alphas being, you know, the super intelligent, super beautiful, um, you know, perfect humans, perfect people. And then you have the Epsilons, who are stunted dwarves. They can barely speak. But they have enough technical acumen to do the lowly menial jobs that no one would do if they were an alpha or even a beta. So they do, for example, like cleaning and maintenance work on all the, you know, nitty gritty elements and all the workings of the society. And that's not too dissimilar from what we've got here because the kids are genetically reared to be this way. 
You know, they're having injections from a yellow blood cell count. They've only been taught what they need to know in order to perform their function. And once that function is exhausted, be it because, you know, they simply, you know, they die in combat or because they get too old, that's it. No one cares about them. They've gone. Who gives a fuck? So, literally, slaves. Simple as that. 100%. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, don't even have to... <laughs> There's nothing more to be said. Does that not also, unfortunately, really horribly recontextualize the name... Oh, sorry, the word plantation? Ah! Uh, I wish I had thought I mean, that. listen, it's so true. I, w- I wish I had thought that. This, I've had problems with this since the beginning. Why I know, it could have been something else. <laughs> it could have. Greenhouse? I know, I know. This is, you know, I, I feel that this is, is simply a lost in translation issue you know uh, yeah I mean? I'd, uh, yeah we'll just go with that lack of historical context on the part of the the creators possibly mm-hmm. but, um uh so there there's a thing that's happening at a couple different moments i i caught two there might have been a third and i just have no idea or at least of only a very faint idea of what's actually happening and it cuts to kind of a box like you have letterboxing on top and bottom so the screen size there's a black box around the, <laughs> around the animation around the screen is smaller and you see a feather falling out of the sky uh the gian is this okay this is meant to be to symbolize like here we have the two the male and the female gian starting yeah. to fly together also from also from the text of the actual book which is in the ending because there's a mention of a feather in that as well. Uh, oh my. Again, really, really on the nose, but I'm allowing the feather if only because this is not, strictly speaking, an objective view of what happened. It is them, you know, mind-melding in Strelizion that, well, at this time, point time zero two is, you know, trying to choke a bitch, shall we say. Uh, <laughs> no, literally. And Hero's like, I can't breathe. So the fact that it's actually as clear as it is, is certainly something. So the uh, the automatons find the two hiding kids, of course. Eventually you knew this had to happen. At one point, I think they dive in a lake. And they thought they well, fall, that's yeah. them dead. <laughs> like, yeah. in the snowy blizzard. <laughs> yeah. But um, the poor kids are, like, sleeping outside in the frozen. It's, it's really rough. But they, they get caught course and um just to rewind there's a couple of small bits between zero two and hero that the i think should be noted as well sure so again small details here throughout the episode hero's been showing that he gets rewarded for supposedly being a good boy you know like when you go to the dentist and you get a sticker after you know you suck it up and i like you know sort of filling out for your cavity and he gets given sweets and he's taking these sweets with him when he's taken zero two out and so he gives her one and he says say ah Pops in her mouth, and when she starts licking it, she's like, mm, "Like I was, I was like, <laughs> I was." Uh, but the feels were so strong, like that was a very well done read. Yes, yeah. is the right way to put that read. That the sound uttered by the voice actor was, um, it was very, very effective. But you are know where we've seen that before, and this is something I spied on a, a, a Discord thread. So shouts to. Uh, the Darling in the Frank sub-channel here that I, I spied this from, because I wouldn't have spied this myself. Cast your mind back to episode two, I think it was, and the dinner scene. Do I have to? Well, let me... 
Well, <laughs> I think it, it might be too, it might be a little later, but it's certainly one of the earlier episodes. Do you recall how Zero Two sat down next to Hero and said, say ah, and handed him, mm-hmm. you know... Oh yeah, bro- that's episode two. Well, what just happened here? See? She's remembering things like, and little habits... Even if she can't explicitly remember the person she's done it, she's done it with or has been shown mm-hmm. it by. So again, nice small callback here. And after the fall in the lake, uh, Hero is tending to Zero Two's wounds because she's got like a scrape. And I found this surprisingly funny and I couldn't help myself laughing at this that he was literally licking her knee because that's where she's bleeding from. I mean, why is he trying to get all like, you know, the blueberry sensor out? Like, you know, all those little like gumballs you can get. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It, was, it, it felt a bit weird, but Zero Two in tones that was like, you know, because he's reading the book again, and it's the yeah. prince, you know, kneeling to offer his hand in marriage. Yeah. And she's kind of like, you know, getting this together now. But there is, of course, the pivotal moment when she tries to intone to him for as best she can. Is that you and me, the beast and the prince? And yeah. will that be us someday getting married? And he's like, yeah, sure, we'll be together forever. You will be oh. my dar 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 and then of course my dark <laughs> my darkest yeah. hour the megadeth song <laughs> yes yes the, for some reason they cut that syllable out well because it's meant to you, it's exactly what it is so yeah it turns out that zero two shtick for calling people darling came from hero in the first place which is actually giving rise to a new complaint i'll come up with in a minute but let me just formulate that while i say something else boy of destiny hero <sighs> Yeah, they're bound by the red string of fate. It is him. He's the darling from back then. Yeah, all of the like, all the little you know idioms that she uses, all the little quirks that she's got a lot of came from him. Annoyingly, I mean, you could read it. You could read. You you could read it. That you know, say like again, like so much of this is being taken away from her, her own agency. Like even in the past, before she met here in the present day, you know. It's like, it's the complaint I said in the previous stream of thought where, you know, she's leading on him and not the other way around. But I'm more forgiving him in this instance because it literally is the entire situation. She certainly wasn't escaping on her own. That's for sure. I mean, she's what? She's superhuman mm-hmm. strong in, as we see previously, but she's only like eight at best. So that's fine. But by God, the, I nearly had waterworks on my own when she, he says that and she looks at him and she just bursts out into tears. Yeah, they made a real co- they made a real connection right there. Yeah, do you want to know what this reminded me of? The 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 anime that this evokes a memory of for me, and why it evokes it. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about a good anime briefly. A very good anime, Erased. Okay. Do you remember when Hinazaki uh, visited uh, Sasaru's place with his mum, and they just had a normal family evening? They had, mm-hmm. you know, she she was bathed, she was looked after, and they had a proper slap up meal. And I will never forget this scene because it honestly broke my heart. Like, without saying anything, at that dinner scene, when this plate of warm food, is delicious food, is sour before her, Hinazuki, this abused girl, burst into tears. And the thing I inferred from that, and the thing I inferred from this, similarly, is that even if she couldn't voice the words for it because she's only very young, she understood for a moment then what it felt like to be treated normally, to be treated like mm-hmm. a human being, to be to be loved and cared about. Even if she couldn't express it in words, yep. she knew what was right in front of her and what she had been denied for so long. And then there it is. And the emotion just, well, damn bursts. That's it. 
Shaden's heart pulses again very briefly before it turns back into a black lump of coal. And it happened here. Zero Two, even though she can't... I mean, Hinazaki could actually speak. Zero Two can't. She just goes, Awu? Zero Two. I, I, I don't know. You, you, I can't do the voice properly. I mean, credit, by the way, to whoever is doing the voice for Zero Two, because it did... It did convey that sense of, you know, like someone who's never actually been educated a day in her life and also still being childlike, but also being cute. Totally. Yeah, like I said, very effective. But, like, she can't even voice the words for this, but Berskine says, just recognizing that, feral as she is, there's a, there's a human heart in there that can understand what she's got here right now that's so precious to her and also what she's been denied previously. And honestly, it broke my fucking heart to see that. This is the shit I wish the show did all the time. If it just cut the gristle away and focused on this this story between these two, like I said, just cut the rest of the characters out entirely. Make it just be a super robot pairing with those two. Then it... Oh, I would have so much less to complain about. But yeah, I, 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 I love that moment. Sometimes, you know, you don't need to have characters to explicitly spell out their feelings and their emotions. Sometimes, sometimes just simple acts... Weeping and crying, for example, can tell you so much more. Yeah, it's really good like to see... I mean, they have a lot of time together, and they kind of get the general idea of how each other is feeling and what the other one wants. But that moment to see like the veil was lifted and the intention of one heart like got to another, you know, and words didn't get in the way, this sort of pure connection happening, and uh, it was really beautiful. I mm. really did appreciate that. Absolutely. And then they're torn apart almost immediately thereafter. Yeah. Uh, and at one point, Hero overheard them saying that he was expendable. Zero Two, of course, is the the uh, prize pony. She's the, the one that they want to keep around. And the other one is entirely uh, expendable should he prove to get in the way. Argu- arguably, you could say that about his role in the anime so far. Certainly, of how people have felt about him. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Let's slot Zero Two instead. She's the real thing to care about. Right, right. So, but thankfully for him, he just gets the butt of a gun to a head, to the head. Excuse me. Do you reckon? Do you reckon and, that was the head trauma that made him Spidia and not the actual mind scrambling machine that follows in a bit? Well, they do have a little. <laughs> uh perhaps <laughs> what one of the one of them did the trick and the other one just killed his emotions oh yeah zero two for her part you know she's having i would say about 30 percent of this flashback and hero gets about 70 and understandable given she couldn't really contextualize what was going on i mean it's true it's true but um you know the she of course like him I don't know if she's had it erased or she just doesn't remember it clearly. Uh, no, she Hiro... was in the machine as well. Okay, so they both get their memories erased of what had happened. Hero clearly gets his memory erased well beyond, <laughs> well beyond the incident in question. Uh, the the kidnapping, running away. He doesn't remember a promise he made with Mitsuru. He doesn't remember many things. Nope. There is even an insert shot of the without words of Mitsuru seeing Hero and then Burskin says himself as he mm-hmm. it's, a, it's again a retelling of the scene we saw before uh, between him and her when, they, when he says he forgot the promise. And perhaps this is just the machine affecting different species differently but it's funny that Hero can remember nothing but Zero Two can remember enough such that 
she has now a burning desire to become human because she remembers a person helping her or, or being in her life or something. You know, she knows the darling from back then. Mm-hmm. Whereas Hero forgot not only darling from back then, he forgot he knew her, he forgot she existed, the kidnapping, like he forgot he forgot the promise he made with Mitsuru. It was quite effective, the the erasing on him. Maybe they were using Hero's mind to mine bitcoins. Maybe that's why his head is so scrambled. Like, they just gave her the regular treatment, but he got, like, the full buff and shine, and they use it to make cryptocurrency. It would explain why he's such a dimwit half the time. It's as good an explanation as any I've got. Uh-huh. But will it be promoted by YouTube virtual idols? That's the question. I reckon Kizuna AI would enjoy uh, <laughs> Darling in the Franks. She might. <laughs> I reckon she would. Probably. I mean, I could... I mean, I can see what her review of it... Fucking great! <laughs> yes. Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> That's what she says when Dr. Franks appears on screen. Exactly, yes. Yes. No, please. <laughs> so, Delphinium, I think, brings them back. J- jolts them back from... To, or sorry, to reality. The spirit, the, the, the evil spirit of Zero Two is no longer choking Hero. What a shame! But the mind, but the minds have melded. They merged yes. at least for a moment, uh, and it was that consciousness merger that allowed them to gain back their memories. At least Hero, Z- Zero Two may have gotten some, but Hero, it all came back to him. Yeah, because he remembered that uh, she was the little girl with the picture book. Yeah. Going back to Delphinium briefly, this is such a brief shot, but I couldn't believe it when I saw it. Delphinium actually loses an arm ta- tackling Zero Strelizia, which is in tiger form. And I was like, the fuck? Are you, are you telling me that Delphinium can be blown the fuck up by Cthulhu Claxasaur and that Strelizia can, you know, get battering rammed by another, but one sideways rugby football tackle, you know, like she was pitching for the NFL, that's the thing that causes the arm to go? We'll have to wait and see, but like, come on, are the are the Franks indestructible or are they made out of crepe paper? What <laughs> what the fuck? There's no in between. No, there really isn't. But I do actually like the implication that this shows, by which is that they've not simply Strelizia's not been standing around like it, it's going to tiger form and they've been trying to restrain it as as Zero Two has gone feral and taken Hero for the ride while doing it. So that was a that was a neat small detail, but I I really wanted some expounding on that. Like fuck's sake, come on! Uh, and that's kind of that's kind of what happens in the episode. That is it. Once the once the characters have that realization, they're both crying, and Zero Two turns to look back at Hero, and I guess she believes him because of once again his tears. Yeah. That's it. I can't yeah. talk about Hero's tears anymore. No, no one can. I'll talk about Zero Two's tears, though. Like, could you ever prize this point of imagined her crying? That's a really good point. I can't! Like, it doesn't compute. Like, if you said to me before this mm. episode, oh, there'll be, a, there'll be a scene of Zero Two crying, I'd be like, you are full of shit. <laughs> no way. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Zero, Zero Two is too cold, too hard as nails to, you know, be weeping tears at any point. And, well, I suppose it's kind of apt that the last time we see her, apart from in the brief mind machine wiping thing, is of her crying as a child. And then when we come back to her as an adult, she's crying then. Mm. So, what? Oof. That is the episode, though. And 
well, where do things go from here, I wonder? Because they now know. Like, the way this is going to play out now is that I've, it, I said before that it's fairly obvious at some point the characters are going to rebel against Papa, Ape, and the rest. That's going to oh, happen. Yeah. That is going to happen. They have, they have their reason now, I think. Yeah. And everyone's going to follow Hero on this. I mean, Ichigo is going to, as guys back on this. <sighs> I mean, <laughs> I guess she does. That's, I'm curious. Uh, there was a, a startling lack of Ichigo in this episode. Not enough Ichigo. No, but we at least got her as a kid and then briefly as an adult. Actually, you've just raised a good point, though. Do you reckon she's going to pull an Also Saitomi and actually fight with, you know, the bad guys briefly? Because she doesn't I... want to break, break away from <sighs> the orders? This could lead into the Delphinium Strelizia fight I mentioned. I hope it happens. Po- I, possibly. I mean, I see her being conflicted. I could, I could see it going... I, you could do something interesting either way. You know, yeah. you could have uh, her briefly kind of uh, clinging on to normalcy because change is hard, right? Going against everything that you've grown up believing and been taught uh, before she, you know, sides with the the people that she cares about. Um, or you could have her immediately doing that and taking on uh, Alpha, Alpha Nine. I told you they're gonna. Fi- they're, of course, they're gonna fight against each other. The nine. Yeah. The nines are gonna fight our heroes because they're gonna totally. be the one. Like you're right. Can you imagine like the Franks is run by the likes of the cookie cutter kids from Twenty Six trying to fight our heroes, Franks? Not a chance. <laughs> Not a chance in God's green earth are they gonna be able to take him on? No, you're gonna have to send in the professionals for this, and that's where the exactly. nines are gonna come in. So the we're gonna super elite. The, the the you know they're like the um. The Royal Guards and the Emperor's Throne Room from Star Wars. They're those kind of, you know, mooks. <laughs> the red. Uh, God. So, yeah, I mean, overall, what are your, what are your qualitative impressions? How do you evaluate this one? If you had to put it in a nice, <clears throat> neat little capsule. Well, it's as good as the last episode, in my opinion. I'd, yeah, as I've said, I think that there are certain antecedent elements to this, like certain things surrounding the core um, emotional part of this, which is about Zero Two and Heroes first meeting and how they have a relationship that blooms from that and then is stolen from them, ripped out from them, literally. But the things I said before, like, you know, with the whole idea of the book, which, again, I get where they go with it, but it's way too on the nose. It It's way too contrived to feel organic. It kind of took me out of the whole proceedings. I mean... I've said it before, like, literally, it overlays so perfectly with their story, right down to the fact that the princess has horns, that it's just pushing it a little bit in my mind. And then there's the stuff with Franks, you know, being, you know, Dr. Fucking Eggman or Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget, or the, like, any, any, <laughs> any really, really over the top cartoon villain for a show that does not demand or need that, in my opinion. Hand me zero two. Bring her to me. <laughs> Gadget, get me the parasites. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Darling the Franks episode 13. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that was fucking terrifying. Please never do that to me again. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, Doc, if your kids ever disobey you in any way, just pull that voice on them and they will never step out of line again. <laughs> like, you haven't done your homework? Like, but, right. Okay. But, um,. One final thing I want to say, though, as well, which ties back into the complaints I made at the end of the last report, and I kind of just came up with it here and now, but it feels in some way like the way that the story of the Beast and the Prince is framed, though, is that 
it's the prince doing all the hard work for helping the princess out. Like, the only thing that she offers him in return is her unconditional love. And that's kind of what we've got right now with Hero and Zero 2. And I again just have to echo my complaint from last time, like, this needs to be a bit more two-way. The more we seem to learn about Zero 2, the less special she feels, because so much of, like, the, the whole thing of her calling Hero darling, that was something he gave to her in the first place. Hmm. That is, which is a problem, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the small detail of, like, you know, say, ah, that thing from, from then, that's a problem as well, because that's, again, something that she seemingly did on her own, but she was just repeating verbatim what was given to her by him. And certainly, you know, there are elements of her personality that are unique to her, like with what she did in the Boys X Girls episode, for example. And also, you know, the little dance thing she did when she was going through the security gates. They're all still there, and they're all still her, but in some way it almost feels like the more we layers we peel away from her, the less interesting she gets. And that's mostly Hero's fault, annoyingly enough. It's it's a problem. And this would be better, in my opinion, if either A, they hadn't had Hero be the original darling in the first place, because again, this is all like, you know, star-crossed lovers contrived. It's destiny almost. I mean, the book itself is a fairy tale, and this... Brought to you by Bungie. (laughs) Imagine if if Frank's was, you know, like a loot box-driven game. Oh, God. I got the legendary Strelizia. What did you get? Oh, I got... I just got... I got Fitoshi chef skin. <laughs> He's wearing a little baker's hat. Oh, motherfucker. This show is not unlike a recent Destiny game in that much ballyhooed uh, hype surrounding it coming into its initial release. A lot of people talking about it early on. No, I don't really see too many people talking about it. I have to say, though, Doc, I actually checked on Crunchyroll. Um... Currently looking at it right now, The Beast and the Prince uh, on Crunchyroll's rating system has 3,459 votes. The previous episode, if I just click on it, 2,004. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. in some way, uh, this is very anecdotal. I wouldn't take it as, you know, a true measure of the show's numbers. I mean, the only people who have that are the guys behind Crunchyroll. So, uh, Miles, if you're listening, I know you're out there, mate. You know, give us Give us some <laughs> figures. I am a data analyst by trade. I'll make you a nice graph out of it. But if you look at that, you could potentially take it to mean that this episode has brought more people back. People are now interested in it again. Uh, or rather, the previous one did, and now it's brought them back to go actually go and watch this. I think, for, yeah, a lot of people probably watch and don't vote, I would say. But think of the people who do, though. That's, uh, like, this is not just, you know, this is just folks in general. It's not just ones, twos, threes, fours, fives. Again, I'm not going to say, like, you know, it's anything conclusive. I'm not going to try and infer too much causality from it. Mm-hmm. But if people were to say to me, I really didn't care about Darling in the Franks, but hearing about these episodes kind of got me back into it, and I'm glad I've got this far, I'd see that for sure. I'd get that. And the Destiny thing is actually more appropriate because Destiny is a game that's centered around its end game where it gets interesting so right. fun, funny yes. how funny how that's it's, happening here <laughs> getting <laughs> ramping up to that is very yeah. uh perfunctory <laughs> yeah it, so by my uh click here it is the fifth most popular anime on crunchyroll ahead of such heavy hitters as currently airing black clover and the and Boruto, you know, 
son of Naruto. Wow, so, wow. they, they took all day thinking of that name, didn't they? <laughs> I've always thought it was a hilarious name. <laughs> it's, it like demands being mispronounced. <laughs> Boruto. <laughs> I don't know. My mind works in funny ways. I hope that show's good because there's a very obvious joke you can make at his expense. Sure, sure. I've I've liked what I've seen of it. Uh, I think it's. I've seen very little of it, but it's it's nicely animated. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I watched parts of it last year, we're not here to talk about that. We're going to talk about this show, Frank's, um, and you are going to rate it out of five. Mm-hmm. I will. I'm going to give it uh, three and a half. You know, mice caught in a snowfield out of five. The half being the one that's zero to eight. Okay, very good. It's the same rating as I gave the previous episode for pretty much the exact same reasons. In fact, were this show like labeled or run differently, I would argue this is actually a two-part. Like, depending on your broadcast standards, this I would say like mm-hmm. it should be called like you know the Beast and the Prince. It should be called the Garden where it all began, part two. Right, because it really does feel like it is the same. You know, it's one after the other. Yes, yes. Uh, if I had to encapsulate my feelings on this episode, I would say that I liked it. It was fine. I was not in love with it, even by the standards of this show. I don't know uh, if it, this is, I don't know if I'm just being a victim of, you know, I watched it at a, at a bad time or, or what, but for whatever reason, it didn't, uh, it didn't get me excited. Perhaps I'm just more cynical and, and cautious about getting excited about the show isn't that my joke but the previous episode episode 12 uh i did enjoy more than this one i don't know if it's just because i have thought about the show a lot and a lot of what we see here kind of feels like it was meant to be revealing but it really wasn't there were you know there's some new stuff but dr franks is a shithead who would have thought Truly, I, a revelation for the ages. It's like when Moses came down from the fucking Mount Sinai and had his stone tablet. Thou shalt anyway. call Dr. Franks a dick. <laughs> and we refer to at least three scenes that we'd already seen before. You yeah, know, that's and, true. And there's like milling the kids around and the kids are disappearing and the the naming and the numbers on the call. Like all that sort of stuff, I feel like, okay, we, we kind of knew. Zero Two's plight was all very new. I thought, like you, in a lot of ways, it could have been executed better, but I was fine with it. Just the facts of it. Uh, I'm looking for. I am like you, looking forward to seeing what fallout this has in the present day world of Frank's. So, I'm going to give this episode three kawaii chibi girls who are red out of five. Is that the first time that I have ever rated an episode of anything higher than you? I th- surely there was one other time during MMO Junkie. I, I genuinely don't know. I think that there is once, possibly. Pass, uh, like, but wow, it's, it's a rare, it's <laughs> Some, a rare, it's a rare occasion. going to have to go back into the archives for that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I really should be graphing this, but yeah, that is like, <laughs> that is a rare thing that I like an episode more than you, because I tend to be very, you know... My standards are high, folks, in case you hadn't noticed. I come down on stuff like a ton of bricks. More often than not, because I feel very annoyed at what seem like very simplistic errors. But 
Also, it takes a lot to, like, really, really blow me away. I mean, like, when MMO mm-hmm. Junkie was at its best, it still wasn't quite a 5 out of 5, whoever that's worth. But that being said, I'm at least, again, grateful that we've got consistently good episodes back-to-back, finally, in this goddamn show. I mean, it took half the season, <laughs> uh, to ha- half the show's run, to actually get to this point. But we've got it. So that's something. But at this point, with hindsight, you know... I can see, like, how they've used the little elements, like, you know, the say ah, that thing. Mitsuru, you know, having a more pronounced role with his promise with Hero and that being referenced. The picture book, like, a lot of lampshading here, a lot of foreshadowing is set up. But so much of it feels a lot like bloat. Like, the gender politics stuff. I mean, even disregarding how badly it's handled, it's not really relevant regardless if it was good or not. It's certainly not relevant to the arcs of the characters. You know, there's something you said earlier that just does not sit well with me. And not because I think that you're wrong, but because I think that you're right. Uh, when you talk about Zero Two becoming less and less special, less and less interesting, more and more the product of... Heroes own shit, Shitty dudes. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, not just Hero, but the lab, as it were. Yeah, I just oh, I I don't I I don't enjoy that aspect of of looking at this at, at all. No. I would Yeah, it makes it hard to sort of I mean, cuz I don't feel like it's I mean, it sounds silly to be like I want Zero 02 to be more unique and take hold of her own agency some more when it's like amongst the group that she's in, she's incredibly unique. And she has a big outsized personality. I think it has to be said, actually, comes to think of it, that as much as I have complained in, in this about, you know, that Hit Zero Two has got less interesting, Hero has been absent for a very long time from her life. A lot of who she is is still down to her as a person. I guess. I guess, but, or down to kind of ideas the lab put in her head. <laughs> I don't but know. But that's, that's kind of being chipped away a little bit as well. So, yeah. I don't know. Uh, this is the thing, like... I, I totally get the idea of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing. And again, this is even more flattering now to, you know, the show's target audience. That you right. two, you two, you know, can get involved in giving a girl her own agency and all that and she'll love you forever. Like, in fact, you know what? I've just realized a common complaint with a lot of fairy tales, like Sleepy Beauty, for example, is that once the whole, you know, arc of the hero, usually the guy, is accomplished, like when he wakes Sleeping Beauty up, for example, or Cinderella, then that's it, they're betrothed forever. But who's to say that should be the case? Like, this, why should the the female person in the fairy tale be obligated to this person who's come along and saved her? Just, like, in a lifetime, I mean, gratitude is welcome, certainly, like, I'm, you know... <laughs> Slay, slaying the you know the dragon in Sleeping Beauty is no small task. That's a Dark Souls boss right there in Disney form and and in classic you know fairy tale form. But there's no obligation for you know to suddenly hook up with them and stay with them forever. And that's often what's been said a lot in this show by Zero Two. We'll be together forever. It does feel more and more fairy tale like the more I think about it. And the book is you know mm. the, the the Beast and the Prince has kind of brought that into sharp focus. But you know. I wouldn't even mind her hooking up with Hero or, you know, having this kind of relationship with him if there was some return on that, something that she offered him that wasn't strictly just about him piloting the Franks. A thing that doesn't even matter anymore. That's not been brought up or been an issue once since it was resolved in episode six. 
So it really, it really is turning into a fairy tale for better and worse. And oh fuck! The... Even when I'm happy about an episode, it makes me angry. <laughs> the things she that she is bringing to the group and kind of her way of being that doesn't feel like you know inspired by or due to hero is her like morbid we're all gonna die oh everyone but me is gonna die sort of attitude because of her life experience you know she fought with a lot of different dudes against a lot of different klaxosaurus before hero came back into the picture so yeah i feel like you know she had those nice memories interlaced with those awful ones but i think she's probably still pretty fucked up generally yeah i don't know i i just think it would be more true to life and also more compelling if there was something that she was giving to hero specifically some some problem some fault of his some weakness of his so that you know they were leaning on each other yeah. If you, if you if you want to make the bird comparisons, this this bird is flying, but one of the wings is putting in all of the work, and the other is not. Mm. You know, mm. it, it's more like a paraglider, to be honest. And I'm not sure I'm down with that, to be honest. I mean, we've said before about the gender politics being old fashioned, but now the more I think about it, and the more I frame Frank's as a fairy tale. I mean, they've gone to a castle for fucks. Oh, fuck it, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this. I can't fucking do this. Right, no, that's it. Look, I'll just save it for another time and see how the show develops, and hopefully it doesn't turn out to literally be a modern retelling of fucking Beauty and the Beast. I mean, if I swear, I fucking swear, if Alpha 9 turns out to be the Gaston of this show, I am done. And I will leave it there, folks. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Fuck my life. Well, if they are leaning into, you know, an Ikuhara kind of influence, Ikuhara loves fairy tales, loves theater. There's always a fable or fairy tale or some something like that. Like I mentioned about Yorikuma Arashi, like that is the backdrop for for his anime. So maybe that to, in the words of Emily Rand, uh, they watched Yorikuma and. Uh, got all the bad parts. I'll just made it really old fashioned. I mean, like, like I was about to say before I realized about the castle thing, the whole problem with it being a fairy tale is much like the gender politics. It's very old fashioned for a very modern thing. And I don't know if there's a place for that anymore, to be honest, in, you know, modern fiction, modern anime, modern anything. Oh, there's definitely, there's definitely ways to do it. Not but like this, though. No, it's, it's not being done super well here. Right. But before we go, I just wanted to give a quick shout out uh, to a couple of folks who uh, left comments on our YouTube channel. Yes, you too can find us on YouTube uh, if you search for Watery Desho, W-A-R-U-I-D-E-S-H-O-U, and subscribe to our channel and, you know, harangue us, tell us how wrong we are. All that sort of stuff below our videos. So post some spicy memes there while you're at it. I have to apologize to Miriam L here, who says I listened. This is comments on our previous episode uh, that was talking about Frank's twelve. 
I listened to the first few minutes of this episode to see if I felt like watching more Franks. I think I will, since I like this podcast. I'm sorry, Miriam. What have we done? <sighs> we have fucked up so royally. Like, God. What next? Are uh, we gonna, are we gonna end up, are we gonna end up reviewing the producers and saying that Springtime for Hitler was the best part of it because it was actually a serious depiction <laughs> of Nazi Germany? What is wrong with us? I, but thank you anyway, Marion, for coming to No, in all seriousness, like, you know what? Like, it's like I've said before. If you take genuine enjoyment out of this show for whatever reason, then that's good. And if we've actually inspired you to get some of that out of there, then that actually really, really makes me very happy. So thank yes. you for that. That means a lot. Thank you. Uh, Dead Hand also says that Zero Two reminds them of a mix between Anemone from Eureka 7 and Lum for Urusei Yatsura. It's very uncanny. Uh, I agree. And I know those references are lost on on Porsche Don, but uh but yeah, I I think both both visually and in terms of a one being uh meshing together those different personalities, like absolutely. I think that's a spot on um a spot on observation. Mm. Let me look up one more thing. Okay. Uh also on Twitter at What Are We Death Show you can tweet us. Um, Yukinon. Hey, that, good old Yuki. Yeah. Yuki's cool. Very much so. They've, uh, a fairly new listener, I think. And, uh, they said that they really enjoyed the 12th episode podcast discussion, uh, that we pointed out a lot of stuff that, uh, she didn't, or sorry, sorry, pointed out a lot of stuff they didn't notice, uh, while watching. I did appreciate them digging into the little details this time around. I couldn't be bothered to look them up myself. Well, that uh, that's us. Deep diving for morsels that no one else cares about to look for. You can't see it right now, but I've totally got an electron microscope hooked up to my TV. So I can actually see like the individual pixels that are on each frame. <laughs> I, I want to see all of that in like ultra 200k definition. Spend a lot of money on this. No expenses spared for this podcast, folks, as opposed to like the fact I really to upgrade my microphone. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, thank you for that, Yukon. And I have to say, though, again, like, we don't, when we do this podcast, try to speak what we think is the objective truth, just our opinions. And yes. everyone is welcome to disagree with them. I mean, certainly I've made statements on this and things I probably shouldn't have done or, you know, I don't, you know, that aren't necessarily accurate. This is, after all, just a week on week thing. But as long as you're listening, enjoying and engaging with it, we're always happy to have that. And I'm always happy to hear disagreements as much as I'm agreements as well. Like, if you've got a different perspective on it, then fire it my way. Like, that's the joy of art, that people can interpret things differently. I mean, I'm, there are some things that you, of course, can't. Like, I'm, if anyone starts, for example, saying that each girl's hair is gold and starts repeating that old dress meme, I'm going to find you. <laughs> so don't do that. But otherwise, yeah, Throw stuff our way. Tell us, let's get debate and discussion to going about what's going on and why things are the way they are. Always happy to hear it, folks. That is, and if people want to uh, directly discuss with you rather than the show accounts, uh, how would they do that? How would they track you down on the internet? Uh, well, you can find me at uh, various pubs and clubs in Manchester, probably, you know, arse over tea kettle drunk out of my face. Oh, wait, this is the internet. Ah, oh, bugger. The internet. I was trying to wheedle <laughs> out some free drinks from people. God damn it, Doc. 
Um, but you may find me at Shaded1010 on Twitter. I recently passed 500 followers for the first time, so clearly some people don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. The fuck are they doing wasting their time listening to me? Um, but you can find me there. You can find me on CuriousCat.me uh, slash Shaded. If you want to ask me uh, you know, questions on various things like my the absence of my hair, the presence of my beard, you know, why my forehead is so big, all that sort of stuff. You can go in about anything you want. That's where you may find me, folks. And I am at the Subtle Doctor on Twitter and curiouscat.me slash the Subtle Doctor. And, and, you know, about a year and a half ago, I made the decision that I did not need to copiously keep up with a database of anime that I had watched or was watching. Uh, no, there's really no need to uh, to do this. And pretty shortly after I made that decision, I'd say I started regretting it, and regret only snowballed. And you've, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know my memory is utter shite. And so, because of that, I have resuscitated the Mal. I have, I have performed Necro Rise upon it. I've give, given it the Cura 3 spell post-revive. It is full-on functioning and as best as I can muster up to date. So if you'd like to look me up on my anime list, you can search for The Subtle Doctor, no spaces, uh, and find me there if you'd like to know my entirely true and objective opinions. On... The word of God. Oh. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh... The word of God on all the shows that I have seen. Uh, please feel free to do so. You could disagree with Doc on this, but you'd be wrong. Don't be wrong. Nah, I'm kidding. Go right ahead. You can, you can scream into the night and cry and gnash your teeth and scratch the walls and kick, but the number shall remain what the number is. Mm-hmm. And with that, uh, for Shadon, I'm the Subtle Doctor. Thank you all so much for listening this week, uh, as ever. If you are new, we welcome you. If you are a long-time listener, thanks for sticking with us, and we will be coming back at you next week with more Darling in the Franks. We've got other episodes that are either in the editing hopper or soon to be recorded, and check the Twitter feed for details on those. Everyone, until next time, embrace each other until the ends of the universe. (laughs) 